J of n is the probability that I'm in state J at the nth trial. Limiting or stationary distributions. When the Markov chain's regular, still irreducible, but we impose the condition of aperiodicity. So there's no periodic uh, uh, cycle in the, in the chain. And a limiting distribution exists, and that limiting distribution is in fact the stationary distribution. And uh, so, so that the limiting distribution, limit probability you're in state j at the nth trial tends to pi j, the probability you're in state j under stationary conditions. When the chain is periodic, still irreducible, a limiting distribution doesn't exist, but there's a unique stationary distribution. That station distribution means if I start the chain in that, with that distribution, at every trial, the distribution across the states is the same. It doesn't vary. It's stationary. That's how the word stationary comes about. And to find station distributions, you solve a set of linear equations. Pi j is the sum, i equals 1 to m, pi i, pi j. And if you can solve that set of equations with the sum of the pi i summing to 1, that ensures that you've got a probability distribution. Um, and they are, there's a unique solution to that set of equations when the chain is irreducible. And the stationary probability vector, I'm just going to be a vector of these uh, probabilities pi 1, pi 2 to pi m. Now, uh, I've done a lot of work over the years on generalized inverses, and uh, going back a quite a few years ago, 30, 30 years ago, 1982, uh, I uh, introduced some work to do with generalized inverses attached to the matrix I minus P, where P is the transition matrix of an irreducible Markov chain. And I, I just use one condition generalized inverses, any matrix A minus such that A, A minus A equals A is a generalized inverse of the matrix A. And I'm going to have some notation here. T and U are going to be any vectors uh, with, I use the vector E transpose to be a vector of ones. Now this matrix I minus P plus T, U, transposed. What I'm, I'm doing here is I'm adding on a column vector times a row vector. So this is a matrix which is being added on. And this matrix is non-singular if and only if pi transpose t is non-zero and u transposed e is non-zero. In other words, this u tra transposed e is just the sum of the elements of that um, vector u uh, are non-zero and this pi T, uh, some pi i ti uh, is non-zero. And if that condition is satisfied, this inverse is in fact a, a G inverse or a one condition generalized inverse of i minus p. So what I was able to do was to use this inverse here to solve systems of linear equations. And I take advantage of the work done by C.R. Rao uh, in that a necessary and sufficient condition for a x b equals c to have a solution is that a a minus that's a one condition generalized inverse of a times c times b minus b is c uh, that's those conditions need to be satisfied and if it's satisfied a general solution to that set of equations a x b equals c is x is a minus c b minus plus a, uh, an arbitrary matrix W, A minus A, W, B, uh, uh, B minus. And that's a, a result uh, of Rao in 1966, where he applied this to uh, some work in statistics. Um, so I'm going to be looking primarily at equation of the form AX equals C. So I'll take B as the identity matrix, and a, and a one condition generalized inverse for an identity matrix is the identity itself. So B, B minus is and this leads down to this uh, solution here and that's a photograph of me taken with C.R. Rao in his home uh, in uh, University Park in Penn State and 
if G is any G inverse of I minus P, we can express G in the form I minus P plus T U transposed inverse. That's that one condition. That's that inverse we've looked at before. Plus two other arbitrary matrices that can be added on. Um, F and G can be any vectors. And E F transposed plus G pi transposed can be added on to give um, you can, we can always, if, I've given me, if you've given me any package that generates a generalized inverse, I can always find uh, an F and a G and a T and a U such that that's satisfied. Special cases, the fundamental matrix of Markov chains in Kemeny and Snell's book, the Z matrix, or if you're in America, the Z matrix, uh, I minus P plus the limit matrix pi, where this is just a, a matrix whose rows are all the same, equal to the stationary probability vector. And then Karl Meyer introduced the group inverse in 1975 as I minus P sharped as this Z matrix minus this pi matrix. And can be shown that if G is any generalized inverse of I minus P, then I minus P times G times I minus P is invariant, and it's a way of computing uh, the group inverse, um, independently found by Carl and myself. So, okay, we've looked at um, station distribution, we've looked at generalized inverses, now I'm going to look at mean first passage times. I'm going to let Tij be the first passage time random variable from state i to state j. So, starting in state i, I look at the first time I enter state j and I assume that we take at least one step, that n is greater than or equal to 1. So TII will be the first return back to state I. Um, if n was greater than or equal to 0, uh, we would have this as a hitting time, and, uh, but we would, TII would be 0 in that case. But um, I'm just using this notation because it's the notation that uh, Kemeny and Snell use. And the very easy to see that the irreducible of the Markov chain ensures that these are proper random variables and that all the moments are finite uh, under finite state uh, restrictions. And the mean first passage time from state i to state j is the expected time, or expected value of this random variable tij given x naught equals i. In other words, I start in state i and I look at the expected value of that random variable. And that's defined for all i and j in the chain. And for an irreducible finite Markov chain, the matrix of the expected first passage times is a, I use a, the matrix M and it satisfies the matrix equation I minus P times M is a matrix E, it's a matrix of ones, minus P times the diagonal elements of M. I use M sub D to be the di diagonal elements and those diagonal elements are well known to be one upon the stationary probabilities, the inverse of the stationary probabilities. So if you look at this equation here, uh, I know the elements on the right hand side. I don't know what M is and I want to solve this. This is like an equation AX equals C. So I can use generalized inverses to solve that, taking any generalized inverse of I minus P. And if I do that, I get the following result. For any generalized inverse of I minus P, I've got a, a general expression for M, the matrix of mean first passage times. And I was able to simplify this expression. I can drop off the first two terms. In other words, g pi minus e times g pi d is zero. If and only if, any, if g times e minus e g pi d, d is zero, or that g e, it's a, g times a vector of ones is just a scalar multiple of that unit 
that, that, that vector of ones, that, where G's are constant. Any of those conditions are, are the, they, they're identical. They, they can, I go from one to two to three back to, to one as a way of proving it. And I end up with a much simpler form for the expression for the mean first passage time matrix M. When, um, when G is the fundamental matrix, that result appears in Kemeny and Snell's book in 2000, uh, sorry, in 1960, when uh, equivalent to G being zero, you can use the group inverse, and that expression appears uh, in Karl Meyer's paper, um, I think it's a Siam Review paper in 1975. So one can get elemental expressions from those matrix expressions. Uh, for the, for the general, any generalized inverse, we've got the expression at the top, uh, but when we've got this condition here satisfied, I can find Mij very simply in terms of elements of the uh, matrix G and the station probabilities. And from this expression here, we get it in terms of the elements of the fundamental matrix or in terms of the elements of the group inverse, and of course it's 1 upon pi j when i equals j. Uh, Well-known results, I'm just putting them there for completeness because we're going to look at some properties of them. Key result is the following. The sum j equals 1 to m, mij pi j is a constant. It's known as Kemeny's constant and it doesn't depend on i. No matter where I look in the chain for all the i from 1 to m, this sum is always a constant. In terms of a matrix vector expression, this is a matrix m times the vector pi, a column vector, is k times a vector of 1s. And one of the simplest proofs is based upon the z matrix. You just multiply, post multiply by pi, and d times pi is a vector of ones because the d is a diagonal matrix, diagonal matrix with all the elements one upon the stationary probabilities times the d. And multiply this out, z times e is e, one can prove that easily, and this expression here turns out to be the trace of the fundamental matrix k. So that's known as Kemeny's constant to this stage, there's no known physical reason why that should be true. We've got some interpretations that we'll give that lead to this constant, but at this stage, all the proofs that I've seen that this is a constant are really mathematical results. There's no intuitive reason why that should be a constant, why that should not depend upon the state I. So its initial appearance was in the book by Kimmany and Snell in 1960, reprinted with a, an additional appendix in 1972. Um, Laurie Snell on the bottom, John Kimmany on the top in that photograph. And here's the extract from Kimmany's and Snell's book. Just, just the theorem here. The C, the constant C, is the sum of the ZII. That's the trace of that Z matrix. Uh, the alpha that they use is, they use a slightly different notation to me. They take a transpose uh, of a vector to be a column vector, whereas I take it to be a row vector. And so that all of these get interchanged. And alpha transposed is a stationary probability vector pi. The eta vector is a vector of ones, size of a vector of ones. So if you just substitute into this expression here, I get m alpha transpose, that's m pi, and the c is the trace of z, and the psi is the vector ones. So that appears in their book, but really nothing was done with it.
another proof. Go back to, uh, I said that we take a vector k with m times pi. We expect those to depend on the i's. That's why I put k transpose to be capital K1, K2 to Km. And then if I just take the basic equation I had before, you can see that you get a set of equations to solve, uh, which effectively imply that the vector k is the right eigenvector of p corresponding to the eigenvalue lambda equals 1. And that says that this vector k must be a constant times the vector 1, leading to all the k, ki being the same. So this is Kimmy's constant, doesn't depend on i. And for regular chains, one can give another result, effectively a, a proof by induction, where I see that ki turns out to be the sum j equals 1 to m pi j kj is a constant not depending on i by taking uh, the fact that the limit as n tends to infinity pi j n is the stationary probability pi j. So just by taking a limit through uh, the, the results that I get here, the general result proved by induction, uh, it's another proof. And uh, just a little clarification, because I, I said I was taking uh, the Tij to be uh, first passage times, so that, uh, but if I take it to be a hitting time, then um, the, the mii are defined to be, it turns out to be 1 upon pi i, so I'll get uh, a 1 in this here. And sometimes if I use the hitting time interpretation, the mii is taken as zero, so that this first term disappears. So that that gives the expression for the mean first passage times as mij is the zij, zjj minus zij divided by pi j for all i and j under that convention that the mii is zero. Uh, I'm going to stay with my convention, but you'll see that some books and papers, k is replaced by k minus one. It's, it's, it's no big deal, but it's just to clarify there's sometimes a difference in the results that I get because uh, of the, the definition I've taken rather than assuming that MII is zero. Okay, so let's move forward to 2006 now. We had 1960, Kemeny's book, uh, and then we come on to this book by Charles Grinstead and Laurie Snell, available on the, on the web. You can download the book, actually, uh, freely uh, for your own private use. And in this book is a problem. And they have the convention that MII is zero. That's why I need to clarify that. Show that for an ergodic Markov chain, the sum MIJ, WJ, that's my pi j, is the sum of the ZJJ minus one. And they call this this constant k. The second expression above shows that the const number k is independent of i. The number k is called Kemeny's constant. A prize was offered to, be to the first person to give an intuitively plausible reason for the above sum to be independent of i. And it refers to another exercise in the book. So let's go on to see what the next exercise says. In the course of a walk with Snell along Minnehaha Avenue in Minneapolis in the fall of 1983, Peter Doyle suggested the following explanation of the constancy of Kemeny's um, constant. Choose a target state according to the fixed vector w, that's the stationary probability vector. Start from state i and wait until the time t that the target state occurs for the first time. Let ki be the expected value and you end up with this expression down here that ki is the sum pij kj. By the maximum principle, ki is constant. It's a mathematical result. It's effectively what I, I had before as a station, the, um, the vector uh, eigenvalue, uh, uh, k's the eigenvalue uh, corresponding to the right eigenvector. Um, should Peter have been given the prize? Um, well, he was given the prize. 
and there's a photograph, there's another paper of his in 2009, uh, where the formula provides a computational verification that Kemeny's constant is constant, but doesn't explain why it's constant. Kemeny felt this keenly, a prize was offered for a more conceptual proof and awarded rightly or wrongly on the basis of the maximum principle argument outlined above. And it's uh, described there. I, my personal view is that that's a mathematical result. It's not an intuitive result as to why that should be a constant. Um, um, and I've, um, I've struggled to try and find a, a really good descriptive reason why that should be the case. But what I have been able to do is to go through some more mathematical arguments to find other alternative expressions for Kemeny's constant based upon any generalized inverse of, uh, of I minus P. And I can get an expression for the constant as 1 plus the sum j equals 1 to m g j j minus the rho sums of the jth uh, rho times pi j. And then I've got the special case here, which was the one that gave the simplification for the expressions for the mean first batches times as a 1 minus g plus the, the trace of the matrix g. And then you get the other um, trace of z and the tr 1 plus the trace of a plus. A classical result was called um, in 2006 in a paper of mine. It, it's a random target lemma result, uh, Lovacs and Winkler. Aldous and Phil in their book, which is a, they've been writing, but the, uh, the book's on the, on the web, uh, never been published as far as I know. Uh, they talk about um, this result, but, and in particular, I think I, I'll come back to that result shortly when I talk about expected time for mixing. Uh, but you can get an expression for Kemeny's constant using eigenvalues, and here I end up with k as 1 plus the sum j equals 2 to m of 1 upon 1 minus lambda of j, and found independently by three of us uh, that result there. Um, and one can get bounds on this constant, we want to try and give some physical interpretation. What does this constant mean? Uh, and in fact, one can show, let me, let's not go through all the mathematics of it. It's simple mathematics, uh, but it does end up by showing that k is always greater than or equal to m plus 1 on 2. What that says, I've got m states that this constant always greater than m plus 1 on 2, slightly more than half the number of states in the chain. Uh, if the Markov chain's irreversible, then one can get a bound uh, for the, the sum of these uh, reciprocals of 1 minus, uh, one minus lambda uh, i uh, to give a bound here, m minus 1 on 2 to m minus 1 on 1 minus lambda 2. So that's for re reversible chains. But this, this bound here, m plus 1 upon 2, is an interesting one. Um, and Palissois and Ramon uh, were able to improve on the bound, on the earlier bounds of Levine and Luiso, to get a slightly better bound. But they're always greater than one, uh, m plus 1 on 2. And then. Steve Kirkland with Vicky Neumann. Uh, Cottrell was a student of uh, both of them, uh, was able to get an alternative expression uh, on the reduced matrix AJ, uh, the principal submatrix of A minus I minus P, deleting the Jace row and column uh, to get that expression for K up there. Where I came into the, into the piece in this was actually a, a paper I published in, in 2006 where I looked at uh, uh, some mixing time prop, uh, problems in Markov chains. And I effectively tackled it from the following viewpoint. Uh, we know that for irreducible Markov chains, that uh, including periodic chains, if it's 
at state, so at the kth trial, pj of k, the probability xk equals j, is in fact the stationary probability. Then, for all trials following that k, pj of n is always the stationary distribution, stationary probability. So, how many trials do we need to take so that we get probability xn equals j is pi j for all j? Well, we actually never really quite get there unless we start in the state with a stationary distribution, but can we get close to it? So that was effectively what I was motivating me here. And this in some ways is a bit like that um, notion that um, Peter Doyle gave where, although I didn't know about that result at the time, it was published after this result, uh, it's 2009, my result was published in 2006, that why be a random variable is probability distribution and stationary distribution. And I'm going to say that the Markov chain Xn achieves a mixing at time t equal k when the Markov chain, uh, the, the value of the state at, at the nth trial, at the kth trial, equals the value that you get from the random variable y. In other words, we first sample from the station distribution, we sample the value of this random variable y, and we get a state j. We say y equals j. We then observe the Markov chain starting at a given state i, and we say we achieve mixing at time t equals n when the Markov chain is in state j for the first time for n greater to 1. Let's give a, a graphical description of what's going on here. I'm going to sample my state j, that's the that's sample from the stationary distribution. And then I'm going to start anywhere, start in state i. So in this particular case here, I, I moved around, and I continue to move around, making jumps at discrete time intervals because they are discrete time chains. And then mixing is going to occur when I reach the sample state j for the first time. And here it is, it occurs in this particular rep, uh, realization at the 10th trial. And mixing occurs there. Well, I call Ti the mixing time starting in state i. Turns out that the expected value of this mixing time doesn't depend on where you start. It's always constant and it's Chemnitz constant. So that's the interpretation that I was able to bring to the problem. So I talk about the expected time for mixing, uh, and I show that I'm going to let t be the time for mixing, and I use a condition argument to show that expected value of t starting in state j, sorry, starting in state i, t m i, expected value of t given x not equals i turns out to be this constant k, Tm, which doesn't depend on where I start. Expected time for mixing starting any state is k. So that's the interpretation you can give to this constant. And it leads to a variety of questions we may want to pose. And I'll, I didn't make mention of my slides here, but Suppose you're looking at the Markov chain Monte Carlo, which you've got a lot, lot of states that you're discretizing this. Uh, and you'll move around and around. How long should you sample until you're getting close to stationarity? And then you can disregard those early observations and say, with this state here, we're close to stationarity. And from then on, the process is effectively stationary, so we get nice properties. So the expected time there, which look at this k, and we know that that's always greater than or equal to uh, n plus 1 minus 2. If e actually equals n plus 1 minus 2 under a finite, uh, a periodic period n chain. Uh, periodic chains minimize the Chemnitz uh, constant. Mixing uh, or hitting times, here I'm, I'm just giving this 
back a relationship to this K minus one. Uh, and I talk to you about pitting rather than mixing. And I talk to you about a 2010 preprint that considers the distribution of the time to mixing and the time to pitting in each of these situations. So uh, I, I allow uh, mixing to occur at time t equals zero. So if the sample state j is the same as the state I start in, then I say I've got um, pitting here. Uh, this is a preprint that's actually been accepted publications coming up in the Asia Pacific Journal of Research. Research. So I went further on from instead of looking, I had a paper where I went from looking at some of the uh, expected data constant. What about the variances? Uh, the variances actually depend on the states that you start in. So I then considered, instead of looking at the variances, I want to look at the whole distribution. So I've got expressions for the distribution of the mixing time and the hitting time. So I'm, I'm not giving that here in this talk, uh, but that has been uh, worked out. Now, I talked about this random surfer interpretation, which is effectively along the lines of what we've been saying, because it doesn't depend on where we start. We can put a stationary distribution across the start. So here we've got here that K has the interpretation. I've, I've got the sum uh, j equals 1 to m pi j mij. Well, that's a constant. So if the sum of the pi i's are, are, are constants, the sum to 1, so I can just take this double sum here and interchange the sum, and I've got it a pi i times an mi, uh, where this is the mean first passage time uh, from state i when the destination state is unknown. And this can be interpreted then as the mean first passage time from an unknown starting state to an unknown destination state. So the interpretation given here was imagine a random surfer who's lost, doesn't know the state he's at and where he's hitting. So he starts at an arbitrary state and he wants to reach at some stationary state and the expected time to get from, the, from that state to the, the uh, stationarity condition is uh, he follows k random links, expect to arrive at his final destination. So that was an interpretation. It's just based upon re-expression of the sum above. And here was the bounds I mentioned earlier. Periodic period uh, m, m plus 1 upon 2 for k. Independent trials, you always take m steps. Uh, and for any irreducible m state Markov chain, m plus 1 upon 2 uh, is the lower bound. Uh, and that was in the paper in mine in 2006. Some perturbation results, and uh, Steve's been uh, working in this area as well, but um, I did come up with one um, uh, L1 norm between pi transposed and the pi tilde transposed, where these are two stationary uh, probability vectors associated with, firstly, the original Markov chain with transition matrix P, and the stationary uh, and the transition matrix uh, second chain with this transition matrix p bar where p is p bar is p plus uh, a matrix e added on some of these perturbations and it's got to be the, the sums across the rows have got to sum to zero to, to, so we don't destroy the uh, stochastic nature of the transition matrices and one can show that the difference the L1 norm is K minus 1. Constant, my Chemney's constant times a, an infinity norm of, um, of the, trans, the perturbations. In other words, the maximum um, between I going from 1 to M of the sum, K going from 1 to M of EKI. And S Steve with Nicky Neumann and uh, and others uh, looked at uh, the effect of different types of perturbations on the Kenyan constant and showed that you can do a, a simple perturbation on the arth row of the transition matrix and you can reduce, or sorry, you can increase the, uh, uh, the Kenyan's constant with this sum pi uh, i bar minus pi i m i uh, uh, it's going to zero. 
And there's a different type of perturbation overall, the one where you've got an insane perturbation on each row, uh, it doesn't affect the Kennedy's constant. And there's some further extensions of that uh, with some different types of perturbations, uh, possible semi definite matrix, and also a weighted sum to replace that affects the Kennedy's constant. Now let's go on to a slightly different line of attack. Let's look at directed graphs. And very short primer. A directed graph and diagraph detection of vertices of nodes. Uh, we've got M nodes. And we've got directed edges or arcs from I to J. Assign weights to each directed edge, making a weighted diagraph. And an unweighted diagraph is a common edge weight one. The graph can represent by its adjacency matrix. These are elements zero or one, according as whether there is in fact an arc from I to J or not. And it's strongly connected or a strong diagram if there's a path from I to J. That's analogous to uh, irreducibility conditions in uh, stochastic matrices. And so we're going to focus on strong Diagrams. And we can now look at random walks over a graph. This is a Markov chain with transition matrix P is D minus E. This is from the diagonal elements of the, um, the adjacency matrix times a vector of ones. Assume that every node has at least one outgoing edge, which can include self loops. And if it's strongly connected, we say the associate will have implies the associate Markov chains irreducible. And uh, the Pij is 1 upon Dj for those states j, so certain goes to j. And it's undirected, that says that the associated Markov chain is reversible. So reversible Markov chains have much nicer properties than. And the station problem of the vector can be found simply from this vector. Oh, it's got to be a tr transpose here on the D. Uh, then I can look at mixing on directed graphs. And this is effectively. Uh, this is the result of Steve's that uh, a strongly connected graph D on vertices uh, M define a class sigma D to be the center of all transition um, or stochastic matrices. Uh, if I goes to J is an arc on the, uh, the graph, if and only if I goes to J is an arc in D. And we'll find Kennedy's constant KP with convention. MII is zero. And you look at the, the infinitum, the smallest value of this Kennedy's constant, uh, with P having a simple eigenvalue one, that effectively comes from the uh, irreducibility condition. And if K is the length of the longest cycle, then this, the smallest possible longest, mean uh, the longest, is 2M minus K minus 1 on 2. If you've got a period M, that's the whole chain. You put K equal to M, you'll see you go M minus 1 upon 2, and that's the same as I had before, right? If you add on 1, you get M plus 1 on 2. So Steve was actually able to look at um, case of cycles within the directed graph. Next interpretation. I think it's a very interesting one, is the, the, using the connection between electric networks and random walks of graphs. And there's a, a book by Doyle and Snell. Um, it's actually available on the web, which you can download free copy to make. Probably since they're going available on the web these days. And uh, what one does is we identify uh, the, the graphs with uh, electric network by 
talking about the, the, the vertex set assigned the edge by J, the resistance IJ. The conductance is the reciprocal of the resistance, one upon RIJ. And define a random walk on G to be a mark of chain with transition probabilities PIJ to CIJ divided by CI, the sum of across the ith uh, uh, element CIJ, the sum of the J. And the graph is connected, implies the mark of chains we've got it, with a station probability pi, where you use pi J's, uh, simply CJ on C. And the Markov chain turns out to be reducible. And on the electric network, we define the CIJ to be pi J. Now, I haven't got time to go through all the details in, in this, but the interesting thing is that you end up by solving some equations uh, in, that actually look very much like hitting uh, time probabilities in Markov chains. And that's where you get the, the linking in the, uh, the next uh, slide here. Uh, by putting a, a one volt battery across the points uh, uh, A and B to get a voltage uh, VA is one and voltage at B is zero. Interesting finding voltages VJ and currents IJ in the circuit to give a probabilistic interpretation. And you can use Ohm's law, you use Kirchhoff's current law, and you end up by getting H. I to be the probability starting in state I that the state is reached before B. And it satisfies the above equations we put up here the VA equals HA equals 1 and VB equals HB equals 2. We, these are exactly the same equations you get when you get equations with hidden probabilities in the chain. Uh, so what happens is you're identifying the voltages as uh, probab hitting probabilities. And uh, one wants to look at, say, interpretation of expected time, starting at vertex A of the hitting time TB at the vertex B. And one can get an expression in terms of these conductances and these resistances, or well, effective resistances between A and B, as the voltage of A divided by the current of A. Uh, and we've got this general expression here given by and what emerged following these results is that the Kirchhoff index by Klein uh, and Randick was defined as the sum of these effective resistances with the sum minus J of RIJ. And in chemistry, they tended to use these results to discriminate between different molecules with similar shapes uh, and cyclostructures. And there's been a lot of interest in recent years in graph theory, the passings, and more and more the passing electric networks in different times. I'm just giving a potted, very brief overview, but because of what I wanted to end up is looking at the relationship of this Kirchhoff index to Kenley's constant. And that's a very interesting theory was work. Kirchhoff, well known for his work on electric networks uh, in the uh, century. But uh, Palace Square and Reynolds ended up with expected time, uh, a sum of expected value of Ti. Uh, this is starting in state I. Pj uh, divided by the suitable norming condition here. But this is another expression for Kirchhoff index. But you, this expected value here is uh, reminiscent of the expected mix, mixing times. And consequently, Goodman and Lahan came up with a result that it can be characterized. Uh, as m times the sum i equals 1 to m minus 1 minus 1 minus 1 eigenvalues of a plastic matrix. So here we're now getting connection between Kirchhoff's index, Laplacian's, and uh, then uh, one can get bounds in terms of normalized Laplacian. Uh, but the 
The interesting result that I think comes out of all of this is that you get Kirchhoff's index in terms of this trace of the fundamental matrix minus one Now that's what we end with Kirchhoff's and Kennedy's constant turned, to, turned out to be involved uh, with the trace of Z, trace of Z minus one. And done fairly recently by Jose Kalasov from Venezuela. Uh, transition matrix uh, of the random walk and I transpose a state form. So you get the connection between the Kirchhoff index and the Kennedy's constant. So from my perspective, there's more work to be done here to look at when does this Kirchhoff, we've got a special case where we know that we end up with the, uh, the Kennedy constant. But can we now uh, round up the study of electric networks as uh, describing the, the random walks on the graphs and interpreting in terms of the Markov channel theory. So that's the map is a whole series of references I've got here uh, if anyone has an interest in that. So this is very much a brief overview of a lot of the the work that's going on in this area. There's a lot of work still to be done until everything is really clarified, but uh, I think it's a fascinating area to be involved in. So, nice to talk to you. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, questions or comments? Give me a physical interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> there, Dave's got one. Return times and things like that for the Markov chain. But is it known if there's a more general object that exists on matrices in general and that it's not constant for matrices in general and it just happens to be constant for stochastic matrices? Or I guess you run into problems with defining what you mean by things like mean return time, but does it look like a, a specialization of something? Uh, well, of course, you've got to give interpretation of the stationary probabilities mm -hmm. as well as the interpretation mm -hmm. of the first passage times. Um, those, of course, are matrix results that lead to expressions for those. So that possibly does ask the question is, are there other classes of matrices where you get this type of behavior? Um, M matrices? I don't know. Maybe that's the case. Um, that's it's an interesting question. It's, it's, as far as I know, has not been considered. Please. Maybe you could just strengthen the connection for me between the Markov chain and the electric circuit. So my background is more in circuit than in chains. But um, so my understanding of Markov chains is that they're described by transition probabilities, where there's a sort of a talking mechanism. But in, in, a, in a resistive network particularly, um, there is no transition everything is instantaneous, just no dynamics, just no memory. Yeah. So, so can, you, can you resolve those two things? The, the only thing that, that I've, I've got out of it, uh, and I, this is an area that I, I need to get into more work myself, is that the expressions that you get uh, in, from Markov chain theory in solving for the hitting time probabilities those equations arise in electric networks in looking at the voltages from one point to another point. Um, but you're quite right, there's, there's no uh, physical transition from state I to state R. It's just that these um, paths have the same um, mathematical properties that are existing in the Markov chain theory. The so same equations arise. So in that sense, can you maybe the resistors as the, our, our conductances as transmission, or as transition probabilities? Is that the? Yeah, I think if you go, if I go back. Um, You've got the 
PIJs, the transition problem is the CIJs divided by CI. That's a norming of the, uh, the conductances across between those two nodes. And you've got to norm them so that you get the row sums to be sum to one. Uh, and then the CJ and norming of these so that you also get it sum to one. So, so conductances are related to the transition. Yes, problem. yes. Because <coughs> yeah. I, I hope there's nothing, well, uh, unless you've got noise sources and there's nothing stochastic about electric. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you're quite right, you're quite right. But this, this index. It's just is, the, the, yeah, the equivalent uh, structure. Yeah, it's yeah, equivalent mathematical structure. Yes. And that, that's what I'd like to look at more is, is the. What the question you really raised is, is the interpretation of the network in terms of the Markov chain uh, um, features. Uh, other than the fact that the solution of these equations is exactly the same for the Markov chains that was in the network networks. Further questions or comments? So I don't know if the corollary of that thing is that you can use Kirchhoff's law to solve for uh, solve Markov chains. Well. Possibly. Okay, so uh, Jeff is around for the rest of today and also on Friday as well. Absolutely. So I think uh, if uh, anybody wants to talk to him while he's here, I'm sure he'd be open to that.